0: okay so um thanks nisha my name is shanali and quite often when i introduce myself one of the first questions that i'll get is where you from and i've come to terms with this question now and I quite enjoy responding to it and i know that most people are always asking the question in their head anyway even if they're not saying it out loud so i'm going to tell you a little bit about where i'm from Uh, i was born in sri lanka which is a tiny little island in the middle of the Indian Ocean, uh, just under India. And I grew up on the outskirts of Colombo, which is sort of like the capital or the unofficial capital. Um, It's where all the big buildings are in uh, Sri Lanka, in a leafy green suburb called Kosvatha. Now, Kosvatha literally translates to kos, which means uh, jackfruit or jackfruit tree, and vatha, which means garden. So it's... Jackfruit Tree Garden is the name of the suburb. Um, and true to its name, it's populated by these big, giant, old jackfruit trees, um, which we had a few of in our garden. Um, and there's another variety of uh, species that's, that Cosfotva is famous for, and that is the Pereiras. So my last name is Pereira, <laughs> And I grew up in uh, a house with three, three other, well, two other houses next to us and a big garden the jackfruit tree garden, with three houses in it. Um, And in my house, we had Brindley Pereira, who's my dad, who's here tonight. Um, The house next door was his sister, Beverly Pereira, and the house on the other side was my uncle, Bradley Pereira. And overseeing all of these Pereiras, sitting in my auntie's house, was my grandfather, Brendan Pereira. And down the lane from where we lived was his little brother, Aldred Pereira, who is my great-uncle, And across the road from where he lives were all his kids. So he had like five or six kids, and they all had their houses down that lane. And then just up the road from them was my grandfather's uh, nephew, Alan Pereira. So I literally grew up with Pereiras all around us. Um, And everyone in the neighbourhood or in the suburb knew my family, uh, knew my uncles. I remember once getting into a tuk-tuk and uh, it was—it wasn't even in Kozhuvatha. It was sort of like a little further down in, in into Colombo, and just out of the blue, the driver kind of asking me, "Are you Brendan Pereira's granddaughter?" <laughs> and I was like, uh, "Yes." And then he started telling me all these stories about my uncles and how they would steal mangoes together, and how he actually grew up in um, in Kosvata. So I grew up kind of knowing. Or with everyone around me knowing exactly who I was, um, who my parents were, who my grandparents were, who my extended family were, my cousins were. And we had a sort of routine in, in Kosovo. So in the morning we'd wake up around 5am and it would be sort of this amount of light a little dark, very cloudy, and you'd hear the sound of the Buddhist temple prayers. So there was a temple around the corner from our house, and that was one of the first things you would hear in the morning. So my memories of waking up are always sort of infused with the sound of chanting coming from the monks in the in the temple. And then... In the afternoons, when we got home from school, you'd get out of the car and you'd hear the evening pe- uh, prayers, com- the call to prayer coming from the mosque, because there's a mosque around the corner from the temple. And um, so my, my kind of memories of the afternoons were infused with the sounds of the call to prayer and the stillness of it. And, and yet also this sort of knowledge of how uh, full of life the suburb was and how... You know, there were people, there were people around us constantly um, and the the sense of life in it. Um, And the evenings, um, we'd always be, we had a big garden and we'd always be playing, all my cousins and my brother and I, we'd be playing in the garden and around about six o'clock, the mosquitoes start coming out. So it's like, you know, you start like... Patting your, well, not patting, killing mosquitoes with your <laughs> with your hands, and then when it gets really, really bad, you know, it's time to go inside. So we had a routine to our days, and it was very much um, dictated by the sounds of the neighborhood and the um, and the the like nature itself. And I always felt very safe and very, um, you know, uh, at home growing up. I wasn't. It wasn't like I was very reflective of it at all. I just felt at home. Um, But outside of our little bubble of safety in Kosvata, there was a 30-year civil war raging in Sri Lanka. And towards uh, 2007, 2007, yes, which is is two years before the war ended, but of course we didn't know this uh, at the time, um, things started to get really bad. Uh, to the point where or maybe I was just getting older so I was starting to notice my things because I was born so I was born in 1994 right in the middle of the war and the political kind of commentary about the war um, you know going past checkpoints um, all of that stuff was very much a part of my life it was very normal so it wasn't anything out of the usual but then it started getting to a point where you know there'd be we'd be talking about bombs at school and um there'd be sirens that we'd hear every day and i used to have this recurring dream um of watching the city burn from far away so from from our home the leafy green suburb of kosvata and you'd see this massive tall Wall of black smoke, and it was coming towards us. And it was a dream that I would have, you know, uh, quite often around that time, 2007, 2008. And you know, a lot of my friends were having similar dreams. So I remember talking to them about this and being like, "Oh yeah, I have similar dreams too." Um, So because of the, you know, this uh, the the way things were in Colombo and the lack of sort of future, I guess that we could see for us. Um, we moved, my family migrated, the four of us migrated to Australia. Um, and we moved into another leafy green suburb, Gosnells. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so life in Gosnells was similar but also so different to life in Sri Lanka. Uh, like I said, it was very, there were so many big old trees all, all over the place. But it was so quiet. Like there was no one outside Um, And I remember our first ever house was on Albany High, like just off of Albany Highway, right next to the train tracks. And so we'd hear like trains go past all the time and the whole house would sort of shudder. And that was the only time it felt like the world was alive because you'd walk out to the to the streets and there'd be no one on the streets and you'd kind of um, look around and. I remember looking up and the sky seemed so far away and so vast compared to Colombo, which was very cloudy and everything felt really close. Um, But I also remember kind of taking in our new surroundings together with my family and suddenly it felt like we'd shrunk from this big crazy family of I don't know 150 people maybe not that many but you know it felt like a lot of people to this family of four and we had much more time to spend with each other. Um, I spent I had more time to talk to my parents and to hang out with my brother Um, and it suddenly felt like the world had become at once huge and vast but also very intimate. Um, There was this one time that uh, and also we were going from a place where I was very known and I felt very at home and I always knew where I was, um, we went into a place where we were constantly getting lost or always lost. We didn't really understand. We spoke English, but we didn't really understand what people were saying because they spoke it in a very different way to the way we spoke English. And um, I'll share one little mini story with you. There was this one time that we decided to get the bus to church. And it was a sunday um and you know buses in Sri Lanka don't have there's no timetable for buses buses just show up and you get on the bus and you go where you need to go and there's not really a stop for the bus to stop either people just generally kind of know where the bus stop is and then you get off the bus Um, and there's a lot of people on the bus (laughs) Um, uh, but my dad very you know um, is a very prepared man, he got a bus timetable pamphlet, because smartphones didn't exist at the time, so you didn't have Google Maps or Journey Planner to kind of check what time the bus was. We looked at what time, you know, the bus would be coming, and we went and stood outside the bus stop waiting for the bus. And the other thing we learned in our short two or three weeks that we'd been there was that things happened on time here, so we made sure to get to the bus stop on time. And so four o'clock is when the bus is meant to come. It's five to four, we're at the bus stop ready, waiting, there's no one around us, it's dead quiet. It's a Sunday um, in Gosnells, it's very hot. Uh, and four o'clock and the bus is still not here. And we're like, okay, um, you know, maybe buses are late sometimes in Australia, maybe buses <laughs> are late on Sundays. So we're like, okay, we'll wait a little longer. Um, 10 minutes go by and the bus is still not here. So then dad looks at the timetable once again, and we realized that the timetable we'd been looking at was a Monday to Friday timetable. And actually our route didn't run at all on Sundays. So there was no bus coming. But then we were like, oh, the church is only, it was like a five minute drive away the last time our auntie took us there. So we'll just walk to church, it's not that far. Um, in Sri Lanka, when you drive for five minutes, you'll probably get like one kilometer in Colombo because you drive at like 40 kilometers per hour. In uh, on Albany Highway, the speed limit's 70 kilometers per hour or something around that. So it was not a kilometer away. <laughs> we ended up walking for like two hours. <laughs> oh taking in the sights of beautiful gosnels, um, which, you know, was actually quite fun. Like, I remember it very fondly. We got to church as mass was ending, so we turned around and we walked back. Um, We didn't actually (laughs) make it on time. Um, But, yeah, it was a sense of constantly getting lost and constantly looking for uh, who I am or where I fit in, very similar to, you know, what you were talking about at school. And over time, as I started to get a little bit used to being here, it started to get less. Um, it started to get more stressful trying to figure out because it was constantly being asked, "Where are you from? Where do you fit in? Where do I put you? Like, where do I box you in?" Um, and this question of "Where are you from?" really annoyed me. And uh I remember getting through high school, graduating high school, and feeling like I really did not belong here. Um, and so at age 21, I decided I wanted to go back. I wanted to move back to Sri Lanka. And um, i it had been like six months since I graduated university, packed my bags, and I moved back home. Um, and this time I was by myself, so I didn't have... But I still lived. I, we, I went back to my childhood home, which was still there, and I still had the army of family around me, but I was very much there as an adult. I was working, um, so I was going outside of, you know, the little bubble that I'd grown up in. I was walking the streets of Colombo. I was getting buses in Colombo, um, and it was like I was rediscovering my childhood city uh, you know, for the first time, because i had never really experienced it as a kid. Um, and throughout my time there, I started to realise that, you know, I did feel a sense of belonging and a sense of um, connection to the place, but also I wasn't completely from here, from there either. I wasn't from Colombo. Um, there were things that what would surprise me? My uh, I had to speak Sinhalese. I could speak Sinhalese because we'd always spoken it at home. But I had to speak Sinhalese um, as a journalist, am um, working at a newspaper, and I realized how childish my Sinhalese was and how I wasn't really able to communicate as an adult in Sinhalese. So people would kind of look at me a little strangely, like why are you speaking like a child? You're not a child. Um, so, you know, all of these little realizations started to make me feel like I didn't quite belong there either. Um, but I loved, I loved my gap year there and it was an amazing year of working. Uh, and the war had ended in 2009. So a year after we'd moved here and, you know, there were still obviously lots of issues. There still is and are issues in um, Sri Lanka that the aftermath of wars tend to go for centuries. Um, You would argue that Australia is still experiencing the aftermath of, you know, a very, very severe uh, genocide and war that happened here. So there was stuff happening um, back in Colombo, but it felt like I, you know, I was learning and I was experiencing and I was finding out a little bit about my past a little bit about who I might be in the future. And towards the end of that year, I decided to do a solo trip to Jaffna. So Jaffna was in the north of uh, the island. This was where most of the civil war had happened uh, between the uh, Sri Lankan government and the Tamil Tigers, which was the um, guerrilla organization that they were fighting, that the, two, the two sides of the civil war. And Jaffna had recently been opened up to the public so you could travel there and you could – and for me, going to Jaffna, having grown up in Colombo during the war, was – it was a concept that was even more unattainable than going overseas because it was never something that I thought I'd be able to do because it just wasn't somewhere we could go. Um, And a big part of me knew that there was something about this story and that place that I needed to understand to find out who I was. So I decided to uh, take a night bus, uh, express night bus to Jaffna. And I remember telling my mum on the phone that I was going and she thought I was crazy. She was like, what are you doing? You can't travel by yourself um, to this unknown town. Um, it's dangerous, like, you know, you can't do this, but I was very, very stubborn. I was like, no, I'm doing this, I'm going. And I was lucky, my auntie was like, she she knew a few people that had travelled to Jaffna, so she was like, it's fine, it'll be okay. Um, there's a bus that goes there at night, the, you know, it's really reliable. And I was like, yep, okay, I'm doing this. And I sometimes have a bit of a, uh, I tend to be quite spontaneous and not think, think, things through quite that much so I got my tickets and the bus was meant to take five hours to get there because like I said 40 kilometres per hour but it's just it takes a long time the the highways hadn't been built at that time Um, but Sri Lankan bus drivers being Sri Lankan bus drivers we got there in two and a half hours (laughs) and I hadn't booked accommodation for that night because I'd assumed we'd get there in the morning and I would not need a place to sleep the night that I was travelling. But when we <laughs> when we landed in Jaffna, it was still like just past midnight, I think, or maybe like 2 a.m. in the morning. Um, but I and I remember stepping out into the town and it was it was so strange. It was like I was here in Australia because it was deserted. It was there were there, there were there were little houses but it was quiet. Um, and there was this giant moon hanging over the tops of the houses. And if you'd seen the moon a couple of days ago, that was exactly the same moon, this big swollen golden moon. And I was like, whoa, where am I? This feels, you know, like I'm back in um, Gossels, or I'm back in Perth. And also, um, I couldn't speak Tamil, which is the language that's predominantly spoken in that part of the uh, country. So it felt very much like I was a foreigner and... You know, like I didn't belong there, and I didn't really understand what people were saying. Um, and so I decided to travel around the town. I didn't really have a plan. I just biked to places, and one day I got a bus uh, to the beach, the the very northern tip of Sri Lanka. So that was on my list of things to do. Um, and on the bus, I, it was empty when I got on, uh, and I sat. I took a window seat because I like sitting. Next to windows, and I was sort of watching the scenery go by, and then suddenly, at one point, like 50 people got on the bus, and it went from being a very uh, quiet and peaceful bus ride to a very bustling um, bus ride, which is very characteristic of like a Colombo bus. So I was fine, it was just like it suddenly changed. And a young man got on the bus and sat next to me, um, and you know, I was just like, oh, it's The seats are a lot smaller in Sri Lanka, so everyone... And because the bus was full, everyone was kind of squished together. So I was like, oh, it's okay, I just like squish up a bit more towards the window. Um, And then a few minutes into the bus ride, I feel... I start to feel a little bit uncomfortable because I can feel this, this guy sort of like pushing into me. And I'm not sure if it's because there's so many people in the bus and, you know, it's just no space. Um, your sense of personal space gets quite warped in in Sri Lanka Um, or if also um, part of me like alarm bells are ringing slightly and I'm like oh at this point I had been you know um, groped or attempted to be groped in buses many times as a young woman so I was like oh okay this this is happening this is one thing you'll find across the globe, this happens everywhere. So I jam my elbow next to me and I'm sort of like using my elbow as a way of, um, of stopping him come closer. And throughout the trip, like I'd said before, I'd been thinking about who I was and where I belong. And as I was going on this bus ride, I'd actually been thinking about um, the same things and I remember thinking, oh, because I, I like I said, I thought that you know, Jaffna felt so different to Colombo. And I remember when he when he started to try and touch me, I was like, oh, wait, this is the same. It's the same in Colombo. It's in the same in Jaffna. Um, and then the re, the the moment I knew that he was actually trying to um, you know uh, touch me was when he started up a conversation, um, and he asked me. Uh, are you Tamil, in, in Tamil? And I just, I shook my head. Um, and then he asked, Singalam, are you Sinhala? Are you Sinhalese? And, and I shook my head again. Um, and then he asked me, where are you from? Um, and then I waited a while and I just said, not from here. Um, and then he asked me, what's your nationality? And the first thing that came, because I'd been thinking about this all, that whole trip and for 21 years of my life. And the first response that came out of me was, I don't have one. Um, and I hadn't contemplated it before, I hadn't said it out loud before. But that moment kind of made me realize that, uh, yeah, I didn't ascribe to being Australian, I didn't feel like an Australian national, and I didn't ascribe to being Sri Lankan anymore because there were so many. Um, problems with the way that narrative of nationality has been shaped and uh, I don't feel that's, that's not the full truth of who I am and what I represent either. Um, and it really changed the way I thought about belonging and it changed the way I ask questions about where I'm, where I'm from. Um, and the reason I share this story with you is that to say that for me it matters less now where I'm from or where I fit in Because now the question has become, how do I, how, um, how my identity is formed. So quite similar to what you were talking about Zina, it's it's not where I'm from, but how do I belong? Um, And that's the question that I've been carrying with me for the last five years since that trip um, and finding and found so many more ways of relating and belonging to this place, realizing that the moon Looks the same here as it does in Jaffna. And, um, the earth is connected and the oceans are connected. And, um, that's how I belong. Thank you. Yay.